Let's open our Bibles, Matthew chapter 21. Um, We looked last week at the authority of Jesus, this whole idea of authority and, you know, this idea that you're not the boss of me and that Jesus is the boss of us. He's the boss of every human being, whether we acknowledge it or not, whether we accept it, whether we submit to him or not, that's the question. Or, you know, we talked a little bit last week about, you know, this idea we're going to fight against any and every authority. we got this thing against authority. And, you know, questioning authority in certain cases is the right thing to do. But uh, if we have this attitude, it, it kind of bleeds over into this, our attitude and our relationship with God. If we're not willing to, to bend the knee and, and confess that He is Lord, one day though, all will. But it's much better to do it now, better to grapple with it now, because just avoiding the issue doesn't make it go away, as as, uh, we saw there. We need to be real and to be honest and uh, not say that we will, but then don't, like in the parable of the two sons. We're going to look today at the parable of the tenants and uh, the stone that the builders rejected, this parable of the tenants. Uh, have you, have you, any of you ever rented a place to live? Any of you ever rented? Go ahead, raise your hand if you've ever rented a place. Just about everybody. I wonder what happened to the rest of you. We have, you know, we have rented so, you know, we lost count of how many places, different places that we rented. And, you know, for at least 23 years of our married lives, we rented, and even before that, and we were tenants, and we had a landlord. And we still use those terms, landlord. And there's a kind of a relationship there. And, and usually it works out okay, usually, right? Are there any landlords here? Don't raise your hand. You saw the tenants. You could, be, you could be asking for some trouble here. If you take care of the place, though, if you show a little respect, if you, you know, communicate with the landlord, every, you know, things usually go okay. I mean, we had a few close calls here. Uh, not here, but through the years, where things happen, you know, where the landlord is, uh, you know, very angry with you, or landlord is not going to give you back your security deposit for one reason or another. Maybe you have a, ho- a horror story in your your uh, situation, but there's this relationship right between the tenants and the landlord, and the landlord owns the property, right? Right? And the tenant does not own the property. So we kind of sometimes lose sight of that, but, but this parable is kind of brings into, into play this kind of relationship where, where who's the owner and who's the tenant? Who's the landlord and who's the tenant? I read a couple of statements, though, that I, I found interesting. It says, an apartment building is a place where the landlord and the tenant are both trying to raise the rent. Nobody get that? Okay. Or this one, I finally figured out how to make a landlord paint your apartment. Move out. out. I don't know if you've lived in a place like this, but the walls of my apartment were so thin, I recently asked a visitor a question, and I got three answers. (laughs) Let's check it out, the parable of the tenants, verse 33. It says, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, 
and built a watchtower. And then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went on a, away on a journey. And when the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. And the tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. This is kind of a history lesson. Again, this is a parable of Jesus. And when Jesus you know, gave his parables, they were, they were earthly stories that people could relate to and understand. But they also had a deeper meaning, right? A spiritual meaning or a, a heavenly meaning. And so Jesus is giving this, but when you look at it, and, and as we know, looking back now, we can see that this is a history lesson. This is what happened. This is what actually happened. And some of it was in advance. So when we know that something is given in advance, it's prophetic. So Jesus was speaking prophetically of what was yet to come in, in, in some parts of this parable. But there was the landowner, and, and of course that would be who? Who? God would be the landowner. And he planted this vineyard. And, and uh, who is the vineyard in this story? Anybody know? It's the people. The people, the people of Israel in this, in this particular case. And that kind of thing, you know, they would know that from the Old Testament. Uh, in the book of Isaiah, it says, The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are the garden of his delight. It's a, it's a, a vineyard that God had planted, the nation of Israel, this people, this chosen people, uh, this treasured possession that God had, had uh, put his grace and his mercy on. It says he put a wall around it, and he dug a wine press in it, and he built a watchtower. <clears throat> and so we see in this parable here that, that the, the landowner, he did a lot of improvements, did he not? He took care of it. He put a lot into it. For protection, for provision, the pains that he took to show that he cared about this vineyard, the preparation that he did, and and uh, again, uh, you know, as tenants, you know, sometimes we, you know, sometimes we had landlords right that really didn't do that right. They didn't really take care of the property. They didn't really do what they should have done. Um, they just kind of like got by in the bare minimum, and as long as nobody reported them, kind of thing. But God, we're seeing a much different picture here of God taking care of his vineyard, the people. And as I read that, that passage in Isaiah, the garden of his delight. This is something God delights in, his people. It says, then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and he went away on a journey. And, and uh, in this particular parable, the farmers are who? The Pharisees, the leaders, the elders, the leader the leadership of the nation of Israel. They are the, the farmers. And, and then it says he went away on a journey, and, and he noticed, I, I want you to notice the freedom that God gave. He, he wasn't like uh, some of us are like control freaks, and they have to control every little possible thing. But he gave them this freedom. But it says in verse 34, when the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to collect his fruit more or less to collect the rent. And in that day, it would either be money rent or it would be a fixed amount of fruit if you were renting a, a, you know, a vineyard or a, 
a piece of property or it would be a, a, like a percentage of the crop, but there would be something that would be due to the owner when the owner said, okay, it's time now. Just like, you know, first of the month or whenever it is, the landlord comes and, or we send the check and we have to pay the money each and every month, right? Some of you are going, I wish I could pay that. Pay that rent every month. But if, if the landlord comes to you, what's your response to the landlord when he comes asking and saying it's time for the rent? What, how do you respond? We're going to see what the response is here. It's not a good one. But in this particular parable, again, who are his servants that he sent to collect his fruit? The prophets, right. He sent the prophets, okay? Verse 35, their response says the tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. That's not a real good response. I wonder if, if uh, you know, the landlord came to you or a landlord sent somebody, somebody to collect the rent from you and you got kind of violent with them. Like, would that go over very well? Because there's this relationship. There's something very fundamental that, that he owns the property and we have agreed to pay what needs to be paid. But they were a little bit mixed up. They're fighting against the owner, fighting against the landlord. And it's almost like they thought they were the owners, you see. Makes me think a little bit about the church. And a and, uh, little side note here, leadership in the church, that the church belongs to God. And, and, and we, you know, we just serve him. It's his church. It's not our church. It says in Acts chapter 20 that, that the church of God, that he bought it with his own blood. It's his, through and through. He says to the elders there in Ephesus, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I like what it says in Psalm 102. It says, know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us. And we are His. It is He who made us and we are His. We belong to Him. Same thing about the nation of Israel. Same thing about God's people here in this parable. Look at verse 36. Then He sent other servants to them more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. What do you notice here? It says when He, he sent some and they had got bad reaction, bad response, he sends others. He sends more. What does that tell us about God? Very long-suffering. He's very patient. He's very persistent. He's very merciful. Uh, one commentator said messenger after messenger, chance after chance. And that's kind of like what we see with God. He doesn't just say, well, you got one chance, that's it, you're all done. He, he keeps sending messenger after messenger, giving us chance after chance to repent, to follow him, to do what he asks us to do. Still, though, they fought against him. Still. They didn't get it. They didn't get the message, even though he was so long-suffering. The last of all, verse 37, it says, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. God sent his son. Obviously, we know who he's talking about here. Would they respect his son? Would they give him the honor and the adoration and the worship that he deserves. 
course, Jesus' parables, they have messages for us too, don't they? And will we, and do we, will we respect him? Will we, will we fall before him and honor him for who he is? Notice there, Jesus makes a real distinction between the prophets that had come earlier and himself, who he was the son. Yes, the crowd, it says in the last verse of the chapter, they, they held that he was a prophet, but he was way more than a prophet. He was the son of God, the son Jesus. Verse 38 <clears throat> But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. The son Jesus. And, and in this parable, we see that they knew that he was the son. They knew that he was the heir, but, but still, still they wanted to take his life. They wanted to take the uh, inheritance for themselves. They thought they could do away with him. They thought if they were just refused to accept him and just get rid of him, that he will pretty much go away and they'll be able to carry on doing whatever they want to do. Now, I don't know about you, but that, that has application to us too, doesn't, doesn't it? If we just ignore him, if we just you know, refuse to accept him and even you know, violently pushed him away, that we'll just be able to carry on with our lives and do whatever we want to do. Well, well, what we see in the parable here is that there will come a day of reckoning for our choices that we make. But Jesus, the Son, the heir of all things. I want you to turn with me uh, to Hebrews chapter 1. The book of Hebrews chapter 1 uh, <clears throat> and verse 1. Some of the most incredible verses about, about Jesus Christ and who he is. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the past, and this again ties in with the, the parable that Jesus is giving to us, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us. By his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. The heir of all things. This parable back in Matthew, he, he says, you know, this is the heir. If we kill him, get him out of the way, then we can take over. We can have it. It can be ours. Pretty short-sighted, though, isn't it? I think, I think for you and I, sometimes we're pretty short-sighted, too. We're not look, thinking about the big picture. We're not thinking about eternity and what is going to go on after this life. Is this life is not all there is. We've been doing a lot of funerals lately, and, and you, know, you just keep coming back up to this, this concept that this life is not all there is, and, and one day each one of us will die. One, of, one day each one of us will stand before the Almighty God and answer for our rejection or acceptance of Jesus Christ, the Son, His Son. My little uh, granddaughter, she's three, and her, her dad's... Um, grandfather just passed away and, and so they went to Pennsylvania to visit and, and to go through all that and, and uh, you know obviously you couldn't get away from it they're talking about you know that, that he died and 
but she didn't really understand about it. And she had kind of emotional reaction and, and didn't really understand about it. And, and she says, I don't, but I don't want to die. And how do you explain to a three-year-old, but you're going to die. You know, you just kind of like, you don't, you don't go into all those kinds of details, you know. And she, she had seen the, you know, the, the casket and, and, you know, but I don't want to be in a box. But the truth of the matter is, and we didn't explain that to her, she will understand it. She gets older that every one of us are going to die. We are going to die. There's no getting around it. Unless God comes for us and the Lord Jesus comes back for us before that time, we are all going to face that. The heir of all things, Jesus Christ. So verse 39, back in Matthew, he says that, so they took him and they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. They threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. And, and certainly this speaks about what? Golgotha. The crucifixion on Golgotha, outside the city. Jesus Christ crucified. But again, who's telling us this parable? It's Jesus. He knew what was ahead, you see. He knew what he was going to face. He knew what was coming for him. And yet he still came and he still did it. Why? Because he loved this garden. He loved the people. He loved the human race. God so loved the world that he sent his son. Verse 40, though. He comes to the end of this parable. He says, therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? What will he do? And he asks the people that question. He wants them to think about it. Even though he... You know, as, as we'll see here, he's talking about them. He wants them to answer the question. And, and Jesus, you know, asks us questions too. I, I like it when we read in the, in, the, in the Gospels, Jesus asks the people questions. I heard someone talking about that on the radio this morning. He always asks questions of us to see what we'll, we will answer. And so he asks them, what, what will he do? What will the owner of the vineyard do? What kind of reckoning will there be? In verse 41, their answer was, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end. They replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Their answer pretty much did what? Condemned themselves, right? They answered the question. And, and, and really, the answer is that you and I will face judgment for our choices. And ultimately, the choice of whether we reject or we accept the Son, Jesus Christ. That's the bottom line in all of it. We talked about that last week, the authority of who He is and will we bow the knee. It's a, a very similar theme here in this parable. When He comes, what is our response to Him? Of course, we know that that uh, the Lord had a plan for the Gentiles as well, and speaking here about renting the vineyard to other tenants, and the Gentiles and God's plan and purpose to reach the whole world, not just the Jewish nation. Though uh, it doesn't mean that God has completely turned His back on the Jewish nation, God still has a plan and a purpose for the nation of Israel. But Jesus then begins to bring the commentary and his, his interpretation of the parable. In verse 42, he says to them, Have you never read in the Scriptures the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone? 
The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. You know, again, these guys were the spiritual leaders. They should know the Bible, right? They should know the Scripture. And he has to say to them, don't you read your Bibles? That the Scriptures, they point to Jesus the Messiah. Don't you know what the Bible has to say? In the Gospel of John, he says to them, you diligently study the Scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. But he said, these are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. There is a sense that they were, they were studying the Bible and they had you know, these, the, you know, their uh, very legalistic ways they would deal with it all, but, but they were missing the whole, the, the whole point of it was that, was that God had sent his son and that God was sending the answer, the truth, to them, to you and to me. So these are the scriptures that testify about me, but you refuse, you refuse to come to me to have life. You think just just by studying the Bible, studying the Old Testament, studying the scriptures, that's going to give you eternal life? In other words, you think just by going to church, that's going to give you eternal life? Just by putting money in the box back there and put a lot in, please, that's going to give you eternal life? You think just by saying certain prayers, that's going to give you eternal life? No, it's coming to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the owner, the the Son, the Son that God has sent. He says that they're the stone that the builders rejected has become the capstone or the cornerstone. And the Lord has done this. It's marvelous in our eyes. This is a messianic psalm that he's quoting here from Psalm 118. And, and someone said, referring to this verse, that, that, the, that these leaders, they had no place for him in their building plans. They had no place for him in their building plans. And, and that's huge. That's huge for you and I. Is, is there a place for him in our building plans, in the building plans of our lives? Do we, have we, have we you know, let him kind of take control? Is he the architect? Or is he like you know, that analogy, you know, he's my co-pilot, or he's in the back seat, or you know, he's following along in his own vehicle? No. He is the architect. He's the owner of the building. He's the, he's the driver. He's the pilot. He's the one that, that, that we have to understand, the one that we have to bow before in every asset, every, every uh, aspect of our lives. This word where it says capstone, cornerstone, some versions, it literally means head of the corner, and it, it really could be either. But the point of it is this, it's the most prominent, the most important part. The most important part of the building. The part they said, we don't really need this stone, they threw it, and there's a you know, tradition as a story where they found this stone, oh, they got rid of it, and then they finally realized, hey, this is the one we need, this is the one that is going to make this thing all come together. This is the one that's going to bring the whole building together. The cornerstone, one wrote, which determined the design and the orientation of the building was the most significant stone in the structure, the most important one. And, and, and it, it, from there, it kind of all goes out. From there, it kind of all makes sense. Life all kind of comes together when we have a good relationship, the right relationship with Jesus. 
This isn't just coming to him. This is, this is our daily lives, day by day by day with Jesus. Not just one time. Oh, Jesus, come and be my Savior. Yes, that's good and right. We need to do that. But is he, is he really the, the Lord and Master of our lives? Every day we wake up and say, Lord, I, I submit this day to you, uh, whatever you want. Are we stumbling over that stone? The builders rejected. It says in uh, <clears throat> First Peter, Peter talked about it. He said, he, he quotes, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. The one who trusts in him, that, that cornerstone, that head of the corner, the most important stone. In Romans chapter 9, it says about Israel, they pursued a law of righteousness, but but they have not attained it. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, See, I lay in Zion a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. We can just stumble over it, or we can go to it and we can trust in him. What these leaders rejected became the very most important thing. Jesus, the foundation stone, the capstone, the cornerstone, all of these things, which brings life together, which makes life make sense. Peter, preaching in Acts chapter 4, he said, he quotes this again, he says, the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone, but he went on to say this, salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. He says this is the, the stone, it's an important stone, it becomes the capstone, but it's not just the capstone, it is the capstone. There is no other cornerstone, no other foundation stone, no other head of the corner, no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. There's no other Buddha or Muhammad or any other name that is going to make it for us, that's going to give us salvation, that's going to give us eternal life. The, the Father sent His Son to give us eternal life. Period. Period. Not this whole concept, oh, you know, there are many roads that lead to, you know, eternal life. Just, just find which road works for you. Just find which path you will like. Maybe it's yoga. If you sit a certain way and twist your body into unimaginable um, uh, contortions, that will help you to achieve... Um, nirvana, and, and then you will be able to understand and you will reach this higher level of consciousness. I'm mixing a whole lot of things together here. I understand that. <laughs> You'll reach this higher level of consciousness which will put you in touch with the eternal and you will become one with the eternal and then you'll just continue on into eternity like that until you stand before Almighty God and He says, what have you done with my son? Who's going to pay the price for your sin? You're still a sinner. Oh, but, but I meditated. Oh, but I did a lot of good things. Oh, but, 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 but. And Jesus say, and, and the Father will say, but what have you done with my son, with Jesus? There's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Verse 43, he says, Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. 
verse 44, which I kind of looked at as the key verse in this passage. He says, he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. Let's read that one more time. He who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. I think the call to you and I is to fall upon him. Fall upon his mercy, upon his grace. Be broken by him. And in this there is hope. Psalm 51, David says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. He who falls on this stone willingly will be broken to pieces, I would say. But he on whom it falls will be crushed. Warren Wearsby said that the sinner who falls on the stone in humility will be broken but saved. But the rebel who resists Christ will be crushed by the stone in judgment. It's just the way it is. Verse 45 and 46, when the chief priests and the Pharisees, they heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. And they looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. They knew that he was talking about them. He was, they knew that he was talking directly to them. But rather than respond in a, in a, in a good way, rather than respond in a way of, of acceptance, and again, we saw in the last study, he had this authority just by his very life, by his teaching, by the miracles that he did. He, and, and then after the cross and the resurrection, the, that all authority was upon him and given to him. But essentially, various, the, the essence of who he is and who he was at that point in time and their response to him, you'd think, after seeing everything, that they saw. You'd think they would make the right choice. But they were there. They saw it. They heard him. They knew he was talking to them. It hit home. They had no excuse, and yet they refused to come to him. I don't know about you, but there are times when I'm hearing God's word or I'm reading God's word, and it just like hits home. It's like, this is for you. This is my word to you and for you. It doesn't happen every time I open the Bible. I, I, I probably couldn't handle it if it did anyways, right? You know? I got to work on that one thing that I, just, that I do know, that I did hear. And it'd be amazing if it did, but it would be more than we could deal with. But, but, you know, they were hearing Jesus, the Son of God himself, speak the Word of God. He was the Word, right? Right in front of him, and they would refuse and reject. It hit home to them. They had no excuse. And, but sometimes God's words, they hit home to us, and, and we have a, a choice to respond, and we also have no excuse. Are they hitting home for us? One guy said they didn't want to acknowledge his ownership of God's people, but they were addicted to the thrill of running things their own way. And oh, how the religious leaders hated Jesus for exposing their true motives. 
said, all too often we have the same problem. Why don't we submit to Christ's lordship? Because we want to run our lives our own way. And he went on to quote uh, Frank Sinatra. (laughs) I did it my way. (laughs) We're like that. Never mind, he says, that Jesus has every claim to our total allegiance. Never mind that he will make wiser, better choices that are truly for our good. Never mind that he has our best interests at heart and he knows what's best and he will do the right thing if we trust him. If we trust him. If we trust him. These, it says they, they knew they were rejecting Jesus, but at the same time they had to fear the people. But I, I thought about this and they had the fear of the people, but they had no fear of God. There's a, there's a place for a healthy fear of God. They didn't have it. Jesus talked in Luke. He said, fear him who after the killing of the body. Don't fear. Don't be afraid of those who can kill the body. After that can do no more. But I'll show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after the killing of the body has power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Fear of the almighty God and, and yet the provision and the grace and the, the mercy that he gave when he sent his son to you and to me. We're going to have communion here in just a couple of minutes. But Jesus Christ, the Son, He's come. He came for you and for me. Let's close uh, with a, a passage in the book of Daniel. The prophet Daniel. One of these prophets that <clears throat> had been sent, right? Daniel, one of... Uh, the servants that that Jesus had been talking about in this parable. But Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. These are like massive. These two verses here are just massive. It says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into His presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. The Son of God. God the Son. What kind of response did they give to him? It wasn't a good one. What kind of response do you and I have to him? I hope it's falling upon that rock. Not tripping over it, but falling upon it. Fall upon him and be broken. But it's a brokenness that, that it actually heals. It's a brokenness that actually brings life when we fall upon him or... The other side is that the rock will fall upon us and we'll be crushed. Today, now, no matter where you are in life, maybe you have never, ever fallen upon Jesus Christ, called upon his name. Today, do it right now. We're going to pray right now. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Or maybe you're struggling in your life and you're struggling about letting him be the Lord in your life. Fall upon him now, today. It might involve some brokenness, but brokenness is good.
when it comes to our relationship with God. Blessed are they that mourn, for they'll be comforted. Let's pray together, shall we? Our gracious Father, we thank you so much for all you've done. You read your word, and it is powerful. And forgive us in our, in our uh, sinful uh, human flesh. So many times we just kind of miss it. We miss the message that you're speaking to us. But it's very clear that you sent your son, and he came to die for our sins. That he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we have a choice each and every day, a choice that affects our eternal destiny, but also affects our life here in this world, whether we submit and surrender and fall upon you, Lord Jesus. As we're thinking about that, maybe some of us are at that threshold. Maybe there's some issues, some problems, some Maybe just a, a, a reckoning that needs to take place, an awakening that, that is taking place even now that, that life revolves around the head of the corner, the cornerstone, the capstone, the foundation stone. Life comes together. Life makes sense in the Savior Jesus.